Feature writer and marketing strategist Neha Nagani knows that even with all the bad things you see on the news today, there's still a lot of great people doing great things. Join us for the next few minutes while Neha takes the time to show you who some of these people are, what they've done, and what the impact is on our society. This is Seen from the Inside with your host, Neha Nagani. You're listening to Seen from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandi. Today on the show, we have the lead singer from the 90s alternative rock band Collective Soul. They had seven number one (coughs) hits on Billboard. Let's welcome Ed Roland to the show. Welcome, Ed. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. I like like the preface that we were formed in the 90s. We are still a rock band. You are still a rock band, and you will continue to be a rock band. Yes. Yes. We're not a 90s band. Not just a 90s band. (laughs) That's right. And you know what? I have to tell you this. I have to preface my interviews now. Now, I've done my research and read a lot of stuff on the internet, and I will tell you from previous guests that most of the stuff I read is not true. So if I ask you something and it's not true, just please tell me or correct it, because I tell my listeners all the time, do not believe anything you read on the internet. Okay, so we're going to preface it with that. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about the album that you guys, uh, Collective Soul, just put out uh, last year. um, Mm -hmm. And uh, it's called See What You Started by Continuing. How long did it take you to make the album? And now, again, I read that some of the album was recorded in your home studio. Is that true? Yeah, everything's recorded in my in my studio in the house. We've we've always done that. I think we've made two two hours. That's our ninth recording, studio recording. I use that loosely. We've I'm a gear nut and I love having gear. And, um, and we soon realized that you know every we've recorded in a cow farm, a rehearsal space, a lake house, my house. Uh, where else have we recorded? So there's only been two that we've been in proper studios. I've always love that idea of us being relaxed and you know the stones recorded in the house you know that, uh, not that i'm comparing us to the stones. no we would never do that done. it's but, been done before you know people record it, it's where the atmosphere right feels right you know uh and no one would ever know it's you have the right gear and we we like tubes and analog and well, kind of go from there. I think it adds something to your album when you do it in a space that you feel comfortable in and it's cozy and well, homey to well, you. Well, it does for us, you know. And the and the funny thing is, you know, when the guys, no, and they stay at the house. So the funny thing is when I come down in my road, they always go, uh-oh, he's got no meetings today. We actually have to work all day. <laughs> That's so, awesome. And it's kind of fun to, you know, I get to work in my robe or whatever I feel like. That's great. So how long did it take you to record the whole album? No, we did it in spots because uh, we started and then we were like let's go play this live so we put some shows together and we kind of started going oh this is the way we used to do it and I was like man we can do pre-production like with the audience like and we'd play three or four at these shows and go what do y'all think literally from the stage and then we would listen to the recording and we'd go alright we need the energy here or the tempo needs to be different and then um, so we went back and started recording again but it, it didn't take long I, was, I mean four weeks you know, we, we moved pretty fast, and that was the beauty of it. We kind of got back to where we started, and that was we actually played in the room together um, because modern technology kind of took over on the last two records. So we, some of us would play in the room. You know, somebody would go, oh, just send me, the, send me the file to my home, and I'll play, you know, the solo here. I have to, never have to leave. 
we sat in a room and played together and did like you know five or six takes and listened back and see which one felt the best and just kind of reconnected as to being what we started as a rock band that kind of loves playing together live. So is touring now just as fun as touring as it was 20 years ago? It's a little more exhausting because I just got home after 15 weeks of being on the road. I was telling you earlier, the hour before we go on, I mean, we generally my best friends are in the band. Of course, my brother's in the band, but Johnny, Jesse, and Will, I mean, we're like truly a, a team and we enjoy each other's company. But an hour before you go on, it's, you know, laughter, getting fired up, and the two hours or however long we decide to play is undescribable. It's it's wonderful. We're having a blast. And then the hour after kind of coming down. And then comes the hard part where the boredom and adultery, <laughs> where then you're traveling to the next show kind of. Right. You know, that, that's gotten a little more um, difficult because, you know, we, we now, from 20 years ago, we all have families and children, and you, and you start to miss them. And it's a little bit more of a psychological um, wackiness that goes along because you just you miss your family. Of course. But back in the old days, you know, we were gone all the time and, Nothing mattered, you know. You're young, vibrant, and single, and right, you got right. yourself in more trouble than you ever could think you could. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now you're not only part lead singer of Collective Soul, you're also the lead singer of a side band you have going on called the Sweet, Sweet Tea Project, which, by the way, is one of my favorite beverages in the whole wide world. So not only am I f- you, you just tantalize my sound buds, but you also tantalize my taste buds, Ed. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Can't say All that right. I've said that before. Um, so what is that uh, band like, and uh, what, uh, what have you been up to with that? Well, we recorded... The new, we actually rented a house once again. Here's and I moved my studio because it's all racked. We went to Charleston for uh, two weeks and recorded a new record. It's been done for over a year, so we've just been waiting for the collective soul machine to wind down, which we are now. And this band is it's not me as a lead singer, it's truly made up of five singers and songwriters, which is unbelievable. And once again, some of the best dudes on the planet. I love being around them. I, I'm the luckiest dude on the planet. I have two bands and enjoy every everybody enjoys each other even the two bands enjoy each other um so i started out just as a just hanging out at the house and showing songs that i had that necessarily wouldn't be collective soul chris Eights, who was kind of the first one in there and then brian came along and then we had mike rizzi the drummer wonderful and these guys have been working with each other through the atlanta scene i would say five years before all this started so they knew each other personally, and I was the last man in the group, but they seen, they, they've been working on their vocals forever, and it's just like I walked in, and it was just like, you know, birds singing released. It was just wonderful. Every evening we start, I would sing, it was great, and then watching them uh, mature in the songs that they write are just amazing. So the whole thing is everybody gets a song, everybody gets to sing lead vocal, and I, I miss that because there were bands that I grew up from the, you know, you start with the Beatles to the, the Who did it, the Cars did it, Queen had three singers, lead singers, you know, they would divide that up, and it, it's just been an absolute blast, and they've taught me so much about co-writing, which I, I don't do any on Collective Soul, it's all me, but just the fun camaraderie of co-writing with someone has been, just, it's just a blast, and I've learned so much from them, it's actually built over, I think it makes me a better individual songwriter. So speaking I know that was a long answer. Uh, no, it's fine. Speaking of songwriting, you've been inducted into the Georgia Hall of Fame individually in 2014, and then as a band with Collective Soul in 2009. What was that experience like? 
Well, it, it's prideful. I mean, you, with the band, you know, it, it was a group effort, and and um, I was I was happy for myself, and I was more happy that these guys had stuck in there all these years, um, and we continue to do what we do. You know, 22 years later, our last album, Collective Souls album, debuted number one as an alternative album. I don't know what that means anymore, but it's the first time we've ever debuted in any format, number one. So 22 years later, we're still being rewarded and, and blessed. Well, you're so... And then when you get, it, and then when you get inducted as a, as a songwriter, that, to me, once again, all I ever wanted to be was a songwriter. But it also showed the... the the courage of all these people through the years that had the courage to stand on stage and play the songs that I wrote. Because trust me, a lot of them weren't that good. <laughs> just, just them teaching me that. So once again, it was a broader spectrum of people that I needed to thank because there were a lot of people in the early days that, you know, Michelle Ray Kaplan was one of the big influences. You know, she sat there on stage and she'd sing songs that I wrote. That, you know, it, it, they kept pushing me. So without those people. So it was, Truly a group effort, again, those wrote the songs. So, like, let's talk about some of the hits that you've had throughout the years, like Shine and The World I Know. <clears throat> what inspired you to write those songs? Shine, I can remember I had part of the song written, like the riff, and then this is truly how Dean and I, Dean and I, my brother, is in Collective Souls, 10 years younger than me, and I literally came home to Mom and Dad, and he was in there playing guitar, and I was like, I didn't know you played guitar, and he's like, yeah. And he said, show me something. So I'd show him that riff, Shine. And then all of a sudden, it just hit me, the rest of the song. So it was kind of written in a two-year period at two different times. But to be honest with you, just me trying to show off in front of my brother. Really? Kind of where that came from. And then I think it was a, you know, uh, I look back on it now. My dad was a Southern Baptist minister. Our dad, Dean and I. And um, at the time, nothing was happening for me in my career. And I think if you look at the lyric at the time, I think it was a, I thought it was a plea. But over the years, my dad kept saying it was a prayer. And I was like, about the same thing, you know. So if I look back on it, you can really see that I was just desperate for something in, in life in general. And then with World I Know, I had just met my um, uh, Stephanie, who her and I would uh, go on to get married and have a child. We're no longer married but we're still best friends you know life happens but it was a first we were in new york city and the first time i'd flown around to hang out and back then new york city is not the new york city that we know now i mean it was depleted it was it was, it was in the transformation stage but not quite started yet mm. so i would literally walk around and i would see literally back then i mean people were living in cardboard boxes and then you know the limo would drive up and somebody get out with a big fur and and I literally just absorbed New York and walked back in the room and once again tried, you know, trying to show off and wrote the song in front of my soon-to-be wife just to impress her that I could write songs. <laughs> wow, so some of your hit songs came from impressing people, Ed. That's something cool I to know. know about you. Well, that, well, that's called lead singer insecurity. That's what we are. We're just a bundle of insecurity. Really? That's good to know. I like that. I'm, I'm going to have to use that in one of my future interviews to say, Ed Rowland of Collective Souls said lead singers have a bunch of insecurities. Is that how you wrote a your... A bundle. A bundle of insecurities. And if anybody tells you they're not, they're, I mean, you're up there. You want the attention. You want the attention. So, okay. And I do. <laughs> so That way I feel good about myself, I guess. I'm, I'm fine with it now, but early on, yeah, you're doing whatever you can do to draw attention to yourself. 
So you're listening to Scene from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandhi. Today on the show, we have Ed Rowland, who is the lead singer of the 90s and today's alternative rock band, Collective yeah. Soul. And uh, right, we're going to come back right after this break, and we're going to continue talking to Ed about his new band or ongoing band called Sweet Tea Project and the charity concert he's got coming up at Chastain Park. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Scene from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandhi. Today on the show, we're excited to have Collective Souls lead singer, Ed Rowland. He's also the lead singer of a band called Sweet Tea Project. And speaking of Sweet Tea, Ed, I wanted to talk to you about that in the charity concert you're going to be doing at Chastain Park this Saturday night. How did it all come to be? Well, let me clarify one I'm one of the many lead singers in Sweet Tea Project because, once again, everybody puts their effort into there, and it's one of the beauty, beautiful things I love about this band. It's such a group effort from songwriting and singing. It makes life a little easier for me. Um, we came about the Chastain thing because I live in Sandy Springs, hmm. and my oldest son goes to Galloway, which is basically Chastain Park, and my youngest son goes to Skink, which is a school for dyslexia, which is literally a mile from the park. And... And for all you yeah, listeners it's, it's, that it's, don't know, Galloway is a private school located in the Chastain Park area. and um, it's, it, it, it is Chastain. I mean, yes. literally, they, the school overlooks Chastain. Oh, that's right. You know? yep. mm-hmm. they, it's where the, the venue is. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I, I use Chastain. When I'm home, I'll play golf there. Cause it was like a dream of mine to drop the kids off at school and go play golf, and it's right there. So it's a municipal p- park, and walk the dog, we'll do the playground, and then they called and they asked, would you be willing to do this um, concert? And I was like, yeah, because they were raising money, and they, they finally did to widen the um, sidewalks around the park, which is very important because it's a very family-oriented area, and especially the green space where there's a lot of kids, and then they raised enough to redo the playground with bathrooms, which was you know, raising two boys, you know, that's, that's kind of easy to go to the woods, but not for everybody. Not <laughs> so to have bathrooms in a playground is it's important. very necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for parents, for people to enjoy it. So when they asked, I was like, that's great. And then they were like, is there anybody else you'd like to have? And I was like, well, seeing how he's one of my heroes, Kevin Kenny's like, you know, kind of first on my list and driving and crying because to me they're one of the most influential southern bands not southern rock but southern for me they kind of broke the door open for atlanta rock bands to be noticed and kind of stayed here so they were like let's do it <clears throat> and it was a blast and it was successful so here we are again we couldn't do it last year because of the schedule but this year it worked out perfect like i said i just got home from 15 weeks yesterday and it gives me a week to recover and and then you're back on the road again aren't you aren't you going back on the road after this Pretty soon, we go, we're we're doing one off for the rest of the year, so mm-hmm. we're, we're quietly winding Collective Soul down, so I can wind up Sweet Tea Project because that's that's what's coming up next. I see for me, well, <clears throat> you are one busy guy, that's for sure. Hey, I want to talk about you had mentioned uh, in the previous segment about your dad being a Baptist minister, right? And so, where Correct. were you? Where were you born? In Atlanta. In Atlanta. Hospital. <laughs> nice. Okay, so let me. Oh, Georgia Baptist. I'm sorry, not Southern. Georgia Baptist Hospital. Georgia Baptist Hospital. 
I didn't know that. But so how has that living and growing up here in the South, how has that influenced your songwriting? I think, I don't know. Honestly, that's a good question. I've never thought about that. I think I'm a little gentler with words sometimes. Uh, you can hear the accent every once in a while <laughs> when I sing. Uh, but I don't know if it affected me as much as just life in general, whether I'd have grown up in the Northeast, Northwest. I just think you kind of absorb what happens, you know. I would say people people always uh, blown away that my dad was a, or Dean and I's father was a Southern Baptist minister, and, I was, and they were like, what was that like? And I was like, it was like childhood. It was a house full of love and music. I didn't know any different. I thought it was the coolest thing ever, you know. We had no money and anything like that. It just kind of taught me values and the appreciation of simple things, and especially the love of music. My mom played the piano in the church, so uh, my dad was operatic trained and actually was going to Italy to sing opera, but found God, and him and God worked out a gig where he became a minister. Well, First a minister of music, and then a, and then a, and then a full-blown pastor. So did you have vocal lessons when you were growing up? Oh, no, but I sang in every choir at the church, you know, the old folks' choir, the young choir, because mm-hmm. I, was, I, was, I had to be there because my father and my mother worked, so I literally just lived at the church. You know, I even, I even was the uh, janitor at the church when I had a job just to survive. I mean, I never left the church for the first 17 years of my life. And then, you know, a little boy from Stockbridge, Georgia back then, because it was a small town back then, heads off to Boston to go to Berkeley and and then, and then, then the real life lesson started. <laughs> right when you make that big move to Boston. Right, I yeah, can, I can see a, that. It was a life changer, not just musically, but just life in general. So, eyes <laughs> wide, wide open. Right. So, when Collective Soul made it, what would you say was a defining moment when you, in your head, said, "Oh, the Collective Soul has found fame." You know what? To be honest with you, it was six years ago, and because it, the the last record and the record prior, the Rabbit album, it was six years in between. So I think it was 2009 when we released Rabbit, which is our eighth recording, and we went in the studio two years after that to make the next record. And we literally looked at each other and we're like, we love each other, but we don't like each other because at that point it was like 18 years of just constant, constant going. People don't realize. You know, my friends that, you know, this year alone, we've done 115 shows. And it's we've been going at it like that for 18 years, and it just wore us down. And we took a year off where we were like, just everybody did what you want to do. My brother moved to Venice. Venice, um, Italy? It, no, Venice, uh, Venice Beach. I'm sorry, oh, okay. California. Okay. Uh, Will started his project. Jesse moved to Nashville. Johnny moved from Chicago to Indy, and you know, actually, we met Johnny and Jesse during this period too, which uh, put a lot of fire in the mess for us, you know, just as a band. But just taking that year off was the first time I we had time to just sit back and go, "Wow, we we we've done pretty good," you know. You know, of course, everybody wants to be you too, you know, right? With the Rolling Stones, aspirations, right? Right. Uh, But we looked; it was the first time where we just went, "You know what? We should be very proud." It's not an um, egotistical look. It's just a confidence that was brought into the band when we started this up again a couple of years ago. Like, we've done pretty good. We've, we're, we're good. But before that, we were spending so much time, wor- I don't know about if the word worrying or what are we doing next, what are we doing next, that we never had the time to reflect. And just taking that, that time away was the first time I just sat down and was like, wow. I'm pretty proud of what we've accomplished. And when we came back, it, it, everybody looked at each other and go, wow, we 
we did pretty good. Now let's go back and listen to what we sounded like, like in the early days, and let's go make a record. That's awesome. So speaking of performing, <laughs> what's one of your favorite cities to perform in and why? Well, it, it's always going to be Atlanta just because I can get in my bed and see my family, <laughs> nice. you know. But, but yeah. with that comes, you know, a lot of people that, you know, think they're your cousin or something. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still confused at all that part of the uh, well, heritage. That, uh, <laughs> right. Well, let us know if you figure that uh, part there, out. There are venues that we as a band can't wait to get to. Like Red Rocks is just a very spiritual place because it's outdoors and it's, you know, we're very outdoorsy. Will, Will loves to bike, our bass player. I love to golf. Dean likes to, I don't know what Dean likes to do. He'll get out. And Johnny likes to bike too. So, and Jess, he'll go golf with me. So it's, we like places where it's more outdoor vibey. Uh, I'm trying to think of other ones we love. We actually, uh, we love the San Francisco area. That's always fun for us. So, so are, the Northwest is cool. Are the fans different as you travel around the country? And are you seeing the millennials come out? Are you seeing trends and generations uh, in your audiences? We are. You still see the people that grew up with us, but now, you know, being around 22, 23 years, you're, you're seeing kids now. You know, they're bringing their kids, which right. is fine. I mean, that's, that's what you You just want to continue, and, uh, it, and it's fine. It's, and, uh, and it's interesting also because it makes you realize, wow, we've been doing this for a while. Because <laughs> oh. back in the day, you know, it was just college kids and, and, and youth. And uh, now, now to see grown adults like yourself, because we don't consider ourselves grown adults because we're silly men, um, to see the, the generation difference, it's, 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 once again, that's a reward. We've been able to be sustained. So with, with sustainability, you have to find another generation. You have to find another generation, and, and somehow we're doing that still. You're listening to Seen from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandhi. You've been listening to Ed Roland, who is the lead singer of the 90s and today's alternative rock band, Collective Soul, as well as being one of the lead singers of a band called Sweet Tea Project. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Scene from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandhi. Today on the show, we're excited to have Collective Souls lead singer Ed Roland with us. We're going to be talking about his new band or ongoing band called Sweet Tea Project and the importance of giving back to the community. So Ed is born and raised here in Atlanta. And Ed, why is it important to give back to the community that you're from? I think it's necessary as human beings. If you've been blessed. You know, once again, growing up Southern Baptist in the church, I watched my parents do so much for the community, and it, it wasn't just monetarily. It, it was, it was done out of love and and fellowship. Um, and and I think that's you know, this is a community that I want to raise my children in. I love the community. I love the diversity of the community. I want my children to know about every type of uh, I don't mean type of every race, and I want them to know about every religion. I want them. I want them to know that. We're, this isn't the only straight and narrow path to go down, and that's what I love about Sandy Springs, and I love I, I love Atlanta for that, and that's why I never left. Truly, when I had a child, I'm like, staying right here. This is, it's it's where I want my children to learn about life. That, that's um, wonderful. And as far as community, I mean, this is where I want to raise my children. That's first and foremost in my life, and then after that, as a neighbor, you know, and, and I've I've watched things, uh, I've watched people's lives change 
by by giving. I watched it as a young kid. I watched it from just watching my father be able to mentor people once again, uh, not monetarily, but like spiritually or fellowship. I just got back. The reason I'm exhausted, I just got back from Ireland for two weeks. I did, and it was just a fellowship. It was a golf outing for vets, and they'd never played golf. It was just to get them out in Ireland, and he spent basically 14, 15 hours a day with these guys that have, you know, that just they just needed camaraderie. They needed fellowship. They just needed to see that the, the real world, and then that's just, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. I don't want to be a cat that just lives behind gates. Or, that's, that's not, you know, and a selfish thing, that's not rewarding at all. Sit there and think you can help someone because I've been helped. I've watched it. I've I've lived someone helping me, and I'm very grateful. And it's I'm sure it's rewarding for that person, but it's definitely was rewarding for me. That is the essence of this show. Where if somebody has helped you, I think you owe it to the world to pay it forward and give back. And so I think you just summed it up right there where somebody has helped you and now it's nice of you and positive. And what you're doing is creating social good, which is, again, the premise of the show where famous people come on and not only just to talk about their fame and what they're doing, but the fact that they feel it's important to give back, to create that good that they had done for them before. Would right. You? And, and, and once again, as a parent, I want my children to learn that. I want to teach it. Absolutely. There's a lot of things I want to teach you, but this is one of the very important ones. I could not agree with you more because we're both parents, and we just talked about this uh, during our break time, but couldn't agree with you more about how important it is and stressed uh, that as parents to teach our children to give back and to create that good that was given to us when we were coming Correct. Up. So. Correct. Right. So Sweet Tea Project has done a lot of good. You've got some shows coming up in December at Eddie's Attic, where each yeah. night is going to benefit a certain charity. Have you announced Correct. what charities they're going to be benefiting? Actually, I don't know, but I, I, I don't know if it's been announced, but I know what they are. Okay. So one is T.J. Martell Foundation, which is an amazing organization that I found out about five years ago. I did something up in New York, and they help. I mean, you can, you can go online and, and check them out. I met these people and, you know, I was doing a charity event and you never know what you're going to get into. And I remember flying home telling my wife, this is a great organization. They're, they spread the love from cancer to AIDS uh, to, to all across the board. They're non-discriminate uh, uh, about who they can help. And I've watched them help um, a loved one and I've helped them watch a dear friend of mine's wife. Like, it's great. And then I'm doing uh, Pets for Vets one night, which... I'm, I love pets, mm-hmm. and, I, and I love vets. And that's not a political statement. This is about people that were doing their job, not, mm-hmm. nothing about war. So, And I've read that it really helps with their post-traumatic uh, syndrome. Mm-hmm. And then I did one to keep it home because I love the Chattahoochee, so we're doing the Chattahoochee River Keepers, who are it's a great organization, too, to keep our water clean and keep that lifeline flowing down the city of Atlanta and make people appreciate and understand how important that is. That's so important. I have to tell you this very side, quick story. My seven-year-old son doesn't think that we have to pay for water. He just thinks water just comes for free. And I just had this conversation with him the other day about, no, every time you turn on that water faucet, we pay for that. And it's an important lesson to learn uh, when you're, again, going back to parenting and going back to how we're raising our children. So, Right, and, and then you, you, there are places where they walk miles just for clean water that's not necessarily clean so and i want 
I'd love for our community to understand that just having that lifeline through here, we need to we need to respect it. Right. And preserve it. Right. I agree Correct. with you. Couldn't agree with you more. So the Sweet Tea Project is going to be performing at Eddie's Attic on December 19th, 20th, and 21st. Tickets are on sale now. So, dear listeners, if you want to support uh, Ed Roland and some of these wonderful charities that the Sweet Tea Project is promoting and raising awareness of, please go to Eddie's Attic uh, website and check those dates out because those shows will sell out for sure. So um, that's a little plug in advance. Um, okay, so continuing on with why social good is so important for our community ed what do you say to the young people that you kind of meet you know like maybe after your concerts or you know through your son's schools you know if they come up to you and say oh i want to be a musician or you know i you know i want to do what you do just sing for a living what kind of advice do you give them well the first advice is i say get a good lawyer (laughs) (laughs) and that's the honest truth and then um, i i do say why do you want to do it I mean, is this, is this a hobby or is this something you're passionate about? What, you know, um, it, it just it just starts there. And the advice is just get out there and play everywhere. You live in a social media age, which back in the day we didn't have that. So mm-hmm. don't don't be the guy that sits in the basement and makes music and gets pissed off because nobody's hearing his music. Get out there, play. To me, play live music. I still think that's the, I, I still think that's the cornerstone of any music. And I don't care if you. It's a DJ. You still got to get out there and play live, and that's that's that is the cornerstone of music. So, and that's usually what I tell them. You got to hone your craft. Right, find a gig somewhere. Right, and and then sometimes you invite them over to your house, and do you mentor them and all that good stuff too, or none of that so much anymore? Say that. I'm sorry. Do you still invite them to your house and mentor them a little bit, or you don't? I I try to. Yeah, we just played in Chastain, and the band that was opening. You know, they were driving around in a van. I was like, when we had a day off after that in Atlanta, so I made them come over and hang out, and and just let them let them take a breath. And I've done that with women that have driven six hours and they're going to drive six hours back. My wife thought I was nuts, but I mean, just once again, it's fellowship. Take take your time, relax. Everybody's good. Have a nice meal, and and then you learn about them. You learn stories, and and. and you know, the good, the happiness they've had in life, the pain they've had. And, you know, as a songwriter, you learn from that. You, you can sometimes be um, inspired. Absolutely. I'd like to thank Ed Roland, from, the lead singer from the Collective Soul Band and also Sweet Tea Project for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ed, for your time and all your stories and for creating social good. Well, thank you. It's very kind of you. I look forward to coming back, hanging out in the studio maybe in December with some of the Sweet Tea Boys. We would love that, and we are going to hold you to that. not trying to put you on the spot or anything. No, there is... We come in and do a little acoustic... We would would love that. Us and all the listeners, we're going to love that. We're going to hold Ed to that. So thank you so much. You're listening to Scene from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandhi. Tune in next week. Thank you. Music on the show provided by bensound.com.